You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from a verse tonight that I believe is the most important verse in the Bible. <laughs> it is. You wrecked my introduction. It really, it really is. Oh, so all the spiritual power just sapped out of the room. Okay, we're going to read from Galatians. It's all right. Galatians chapter 2, uh, Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 11, and like Michael, I'm going to work out where I'll stop on the fly as well, uh, verse 21, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. We're going through a series at the moment called Losing My Religion. Paul's saying all the strife that's happening in his beloved Galatian church is happening because these guys are being overly religious. And as we learned last week, that religion seems to be the topic of the day. And we've got a bit of a problem in the modern world because on one hand, in the old days, religion was accepted and it was widely viewed. When you got to the 50s, religion was out, science was going to overtake it. We're in the 21st century and now we're stuck with this problem that on one hand, people have got a problem with religion and they've got a problem with the church but at the same time they're yearning and searching for God and so what do we do with that Paul says the antidote to all of that is you Christians have got to lose your religion and you see that all the time I love being a minister at weddings I was at one yesterday which is why I couldn't be with you guys I love being a minister at weddings particularly when it gets to the latter end of the night you know the rowdy end of the night particularly with all my mates are non-Christians, so it was getting rowdy. And then, you, you know, when you get stuck on a boat at a wedding too, so there's no escape, you have to have the conversation with that person that comes up to you and, mate, mate, so you did the message today. And they always preface the conversation this way, yeah, just telling you I'm not religious, all right? 
So we end up having big discussions about what Christianity and what it's all about, and I'm not religious. And here's what I always say to people. Hey, would it surprise you if I told you that Christianity is the only religion in the world where you've got to work out what you're going to do when you realize that you don't have to do anything at all? Only religion in the world where you're going to work out what you're going to do with your life when you realize you don't have to do anything at all. Now, here's a question, class. Um, how, do you, how do you react to that? What's your natural bent when you hear that? Because today people can swing at either ends of the spectrum. You know, on one hand, you've got people who say, well, hang on, that's not fair. And all those crazy non-Christians and living their crazy life, that's not fair. You know, Christianity, it's about rules. It's about the gospel, Sam. It's about the Bible. How does that work? And then you've got people at the other end of the spectrum when they hear that, like the rowdy guy I was chatting to last night, it's like, that's unreal. I don't do anything anyway, so I must be a Christian. <laughs> One sounds religious. The other sounds totally irreligious. Common sense is they sound like worlds apart. What if I said to you, to you tonight that both points of view are exactly the same thing? That's what we're going to look at. Religion, irreligion, it's the same thing. Last week we learned that religion divides. Religion divides firstly uh, psychologically. It does it through fear and guilt. You've been a Christian long enough, you've felt that once or twice. On the other hand, religion divides sociologically in that it excludes people. That's what we learned. Religion divides sociologically because it, allow, it starts people thinking, well, it's us and them. So religion always divides. And so here in Galatians chapter 2... Verse 11 onwards, Paul gives us a case, a case study from a little bit of a leadership stoush that happened in the church. And so what is this stoush between Paul and Peter, the rock that Michael was just talking about? Now, what happened here? You know, you know what this was? You know what this was? This was a total Z-snap. <laughs> it was a Z-snap. <laughs> you know, if we've got a few Americans here, you know, to translate... What was saying here, you know, Paul was saying to Peter, No, you didn't. <laughs> he says, Pete, you're wrong. I opposed him to his face. Verse 11. When Peter comes up to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. I Z snapped him. Why? Um, what's going on? Peter comes up to Antioch from Jerusalem. Antioch was one of the great churches. It's where they were first called Christians, right? Because they were hearing the gospel. People from different ethnicities were climbing the walls to do church. They didn't know what to call it. They called them Christians. So Peter comes up from Jerusalem into that church. And so he's hanging out with a whole bunch of these non-Jewish, we call them Gentile Christians, non-Jewish Christians. And he's hanging out with them and he comes up to the picnic table at lunch out the back of Antioch. And he gets a bit startled because as he's sitting there with these non-Jewish guys, someone unrolls the alfoil on their lunch that they're about to have and he's got a nice pulled pork roll. And someone else undoes the glad wrap and they're having a bit of ham on a jat. Right? That's what's, so as a result, Pete, Peter starts to withdraw from this because he's Jewish and they're unclean foods. Now, why, why Paul says, no, you didn't, is because... Peter should have known better. Acts chapter 10, right? Joppa. Peter's the one who's had this vision of all of this unclean 
food coming down from the sky and had the vision from God himself that says that you, don't, you no longer need to eat the right foods. You no longer need to do a detour around ham and pork in order to be right with me. And yet he still comes up and he, he withdraws. And Paul says, you are wrong. You are so wrong. I opposed him to his face. Now, what's remarkable about all of this is not so much that they had a big leadership stoush, and it's the equivalent of, of two ministers having a Barney on stage in front of the whole church. <laughs> That's not the remarkable thing. The remarkable thing is the way that Paul solves the problem, and it happens in verse 14 of Galatians chapter 2. When I saw that they were, here we go, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. You're not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Now, what that means for you and I is that we have to sit down and realize that the gospel has implications for us. It means, on one hand, that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. That you have to constantly be taking the gospel and you know it in your head, but you need to apply it to your heart. Now, some of you are saying, well, that's interesting. How do I do that? Well, the metaphor of in line with the gospel implies that you can walk either along the line or you can detour off to the left or the right. And so the gospel is unique because it has a left side and it has a right side. And so Tertullian, he was one of the early church fathers, he put it this way, that as Jesus Christ was crucified between two thieves, so the gospel of justification is always crucified between two opposite errors. What he's saying there is, even though we believe the gospel intellectually, we're always drifting off practically in our behavior either side. You say, yeah, I understand it. I believe it. I know the gospel. Jesus, We sung it in the song. Jesus came. He died. He was resurrected. That's the gospel. I get it. But no, our behavior is falling off to the left or the right. I hardly believe it at times. So here, what are the two thieves? In theology, they're called legalism and antinomianism. I just said that so you'd think I sounded smart. <laughs> We're going to see what they are, more practical terms. Easy to put it this way. You always have two types of people in religion. You have the legalist and you have the lovist, as I call them, or the person that lives the, the crazy out there life. That's what we're looking at tonight. Just at those two things that you would get that before you go home. The legalist on this side, this is the person that says over here, I'm basically a sinner trying to become right with God or righteous. God's holy and he's loving, but this grace thing is weak. And it's about the rules of the Bible. And it's about living the life of obedience. And I'm really trying to be righteous. That's a legalist. That's a moralist. That's a religious person. And so they're the people who are always saying that, you know what, I'm going, to live my I'm going to live my life according to the golden rule. I'm going to live my life according to the Ten Commandments. I'm going to live my life according to the doctoral points that my church believes in. That's how we believe what, that's how we understand what religious people are, right? Now, on the other side of, of all of this is, the, is not the legalist, but the lovist. This is the person that is saying, you know what, I'm already righteous, I'm already acceptable. I'm already loved. I'm already wonderful. I believe that God loves everyone and he just accepts everyone. That's, that's what I believe. Someone who says, yeah, I'm just, it doesn't matter what you do. God's letting everyone in. They're, they're, is it just me or are they often the people, are they your friends and my friends? Uh, that's, that's the typical modern person, isn't it? I, I've got the right to determine what I believe. So it's the, it's the lovest. I'm, I'm already acceptable. 
So here's the legalist, here's the lovers. Here's the religious person, here's the irreligious person. The legalist says, I'm a sinner just trying to be righteous. The, le- the lover says, I'm basically acceptable. God loves everyone. And the Bible says that if you go in either direction, you totally miss the gospel. Now, here's what's really ironic. When Tertullian says that the gospel's crucified between the two thieves, here's what it means. The le- the legalist first over here part of their problem practically for the legalist is that they look at all of this grace stuff and they say christianity is it's way too easy christianity is way too easy this grace stuff's way too easy and then you get over here to the lovest and they look at christianity and they go whoa that stuff's way too hard one says it's too easy one says it's too hard the legalist says, Christianity is too easy. I don't like all of this death on your deathbed stuff. I don't like the fact that there could be someone who is a perpetual serial killer and in like the 99th minute of their entire life before the clock ticks to 100, they believe in Jesus Christ, they're saved and I've been a Christian for 30 years and I've been going to church every week. That's not fair. <laughs> Let's be real. Anyone ever slightly felt that way when you've thought through this problem? I have. Yet the gospel is saying you're justified by faith alone. It feels too easy. Legalist says, oh, man, I live by the golden rule. You know, the golden rule. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. They said, I'd live by the golden rule. You have to be a good person, a moralistic person. It's too easy. You've got to believe in the law of God. You've just got to live by the golden rule. Here's the question. Anyone here live by the golden rule? You see... Anybody who says I live by the golden rule has never read the golden rule. Anyone who says you don't need the grace of God, all you you need to do is live by the golden rule, isn't taking the golden rule as seriously as Jesus himself took it. We studied a couple of weeks ago the parable of the Good Samaritan. Nobody lives by the golden rule. Look at it sometimes. The golden rule says that you would love your neighbor with all the joy and with all the creativity and all the intensity and all the power that you would live in loving yourself. No one lives like that. I don't live like that, do you? So you can't say, oh, just live by the golden rule and forget this grace stuff because you don't actually actually have a bigger view of the gospel. You actually have a smaller view of the gospel when you whittle away the grace stuff. If it's just law, if it's just rules, you're not seeing the full picture. And then on the other hand, you have the person over here, the lovest, The person that says, I believe in a God of love. I believe that God loves everybody. I just believe it. Look, it doesn't matter what happens. My question to that is, if if you're thinking that way, then the question always is, well, what did it cost your God to love you? Imagine that you're standing on the street watching your house burning down. And some stranger runs up, busts straight past you through the fire brigade. They said, your house is burning down and they run straight into the fire. What would you say about that person? You'd say, you're an idiot. (laughs) You're stupid. What if on the other hand, you're standing on the street, the house is burning down. Stranger runs right past you. They said, I've just seen your, I've just seen your two-year-old kid in the middle of the flames there. Hold on one second. They run in. The next minute, a couple of seconds later, you see your toddler thrown out the side window to safety. The whole roof collapses in. The whole thing is in ashes and they're gone. Then what would you say? 
See, the challenge is when you're a lovest and, and you don't grasp the gospel, what did Jesus do? God sends his son into the world. God sends his son into the fire. And if you, if you look at Jesus that way, and if you only interpret the gospel that way, then you go, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> Let's be real. The lover says, God's stupid. Why would you do that? But when you understand that the gospel is Jesus Christ ran into the fire for you, when you understand that the gospel is that you are the toddler that he throws out the window to safety, ah, now we start to know how much it costs. And then and only then when you start to see that will there begin to be a transforming power in your life. Now look, this sounds like two totally different approaches to religion, right? The legalist and the lovest. But they're actually exactly the same thing. Let me show you. They look like they're totally different. They look like they're, they're doing totally different things, but they're actually doing exactly the same thing. One person does it by being really, really good. And the other person does it by doing whatever they want. But at the end of the day, both are doing the same thing. And here's what, here's what they're doing. Both the religious and the irreligious are developing ways to avoid having Jesus as your boss. Avoiding having God, Jesus Christ, as their saviour. You see, Christianity, our religion, if we want to call that, uh, that is to come to realise that the reason that you've, been, that you've been religious and the reason that you've been irreligious is for exactly the same reasons. And that is that you are trying to keep control of your own life and to be your own saviour. And so can you see now that both religion and irreligion are exactly the same same root cause, the same reason why. It doesn't matter what the what is. It's more about the why. We all want to keep control of our lives. We, don't, we want to feel like we're in charge. We don't want to give it up to God. There are two ways to control your life. One way is the religious way. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to be better than other people. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray more often. I'm going to become a minister. <laughs> you can do it that way. The, I, you know, I think the, the religious person relates to God the way that Australians relate to the government. You know, I pay my taxes. I pay my dues. I contribute into this wonderful nation. Why aren't the streets paved? I pay my council dues. Why have they not cut down the tree at the end of the street? You know, the religious person does exactly the same thing with God. I've done the time at church. I've done the praying. I've done the Bible thing. Why aren't you giving me what I want, God? Why aren't you giving me the career and the partner and the money and the safety and the security? Now, who's in control? God's not. You're in control. And then on the other side, the irreligious person. Oh, look, these are the lines I'm always hearing at weddings. You know, you know what they say? Oh, yeah, well, Sam, well... Rowdy end of the night. <laughs> um, oh, who's to say there is a God anyway, mate? <laughs> yeah, well, who's to say the Bible's true anyway, mate? <laughs> yeah, who'd say that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd, I'd just think, uh, yeah, I'll just, just, just do it my way, bro. It's, it's always these sorts of characters. What are, they, what, are, what, what are they really trying to do? Trying to be in control of their life. Who's got the right to decide on how their life goes? They do. Religion, irreligion, they're exactly the same thing. Exactly the same thing. 
And so what makes you a Christian is to say, look, I, I now see even that when I was religious, and that's why it's more pr- practical for you and I as Christians, is when I was religious, I was using Jesus as an example and I was using Jesus as a model and I used Jesus as my hero, but I was not using him as my saviour because I was believing that all of these things I was doing to build up my, my spiritual resume. Oh, well, it's the night service, sorry. Your spiritual LinkedIn profile. <laughs> But that, that's what you do. You know, so that, that I go up and I, pres- I present it to the boss and, yep, you're in. You've done the time. You've done the experience. I'd like to have you as part of my organization here in heaven. That's what, we, that's what religious people do. Religion, irreligion, it's the same thing. And in contrast, the gospel is a third way. The gospel is a different way. The gospel is a line. The gospel is a tightrope that we're constantly having to walk down. What is the gospel? The gospel is the best verse in the entire Bible. <laughs> Verse 16. Verse 16. It is. It really is. It really, really is. This, <laughs> this verse, this, look, you know what this verse, this was the flint spark into, into the petrol fire that was Protestantism. This one verse. Catholic monk, we heard about it last week, reading it by candlelight, reads this, reads this verse and, and in, in Latin he goes, holy crap. Right? <laughs> when he reads this and his head explodes because he, he reads this, he says, know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So it's up there. <laughs> it's up there as an important verse. <laughs> justified by faith alone. What is that? Justified Justification. What is it? It's one of the shuns, right? Salvation, sanctification, justification. It's one of the shuns. It, it's, but more practically, what does it mean to be justified? And Johnny's in the playground. Principal's walking across the playground. He looks over into the corner. He sees little Johnny King hit one, hit punch. This other kid, bang, he goes down like a sack of potatoes. Principal says, Johnny, that's it. I saw what you did into my office now. They get into the office. The principal says, Johnny, I've seen what you've done. Uh, I, you know that that is not tolerated. The government even has policy on that now. Um, you're out. You're suspended indefinitely. You're gone. Uh, but sir, but sir, but hang on. No, you're gone, Johnny. I don't want to hear it. But sir, but sir, you have to understand. I don't want to hear it, Johnny. Then this other kid runs into the principal's office and says, but sir, sir, you don't understand what's happening. You should have seen it. Johnny King hit Ben because Ben had a gun and he was about to shoot the other kid. Principal says, Johnny, you're a hero. <laughs> you're incredible. We're going to get you up at assembly. We're going to get a little, one of those little ribbons from assembly. We're going to pin that on you. And you're, you're a hero. Now, what happened? What happened in that moment? His behavior was justified. Question class. Was in the act of justification, was his behavior changed? No. It was the view of the behavior was changed. And so when the, when the Bible says that to become a Christian is to be justified, what it means is Christianity is the only religion in the world where you're going to work out what you've got to do when you don't have to do anything at all. You see, Christians have a totally different way of relating to the world now because to be a Christian is not to say, oh, I'm going to go, go grab my behavior and, and try and turn it around and repent and do the 180 and become good again. Of course, it's, it's, it's more than that. But, 
But it's not to change the behavior. To be justified is, it's, it is to say that, that in Jesus Christ, he's busted in. And as, as we are sitting in the principal's office at the judgment seat of God, and he's saying, okay, well, Sam, let's have a look here. Have you been a good preacher? Mm, yep, maybe. Have you lived a good life? Yeah, it's all right. Have you lied a bit, little bit? Yes. <laughs> have you lived according to my laws? No, not really. What should we do? You're about to get suspended indefinitely, Sam. And then Jesus Christ busts into the room and he says, Father, Father, no, wait, wait, stop. I've got a case. I've seen what's really going on. I died for him. I went to the cross for him. I spilt blood for him. I've already paid the suspended sentence for him. And the Father looks at Jesus Christ and he'll look at me and he'll look at Jesus Christ. He'll look at me and he says, okay, your behavior is justified. Come in, son. God's view of our behavior has been changed for all of our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. All behavior is justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so what, that, you know, what would that do to the legalist then? To the legalist, what it does is it uncouples your good behavior from your rightness with God the way that you uncouple a train from a carriage. It's got nothing to do with it anymore. So why be religious? Lose your religion. Now, the other question that comes from that is, oh, well, hang on, does that mean that you can do whatever you want now when you become a Christian, that you can go and be crazy? No, that's what Paul says in verse 19 to 21. I'm not going to read it again because it's going to confuse the daylights out of you. I had to read it for like an hour to get it. But here's what Paul is paraphrasing. He's saying, if you become a Christian, if you are justified and you go back and you begin to live a crazy, out there, licentious life, then it's not saying that the gospel is causing you to sin. What it's saying is that maybe you never grasped the gospel in the first place. Because the gospel is, on one hand, you're in more trouble than you'd ever dared imagine, but you're more loved than you'd ever dared hoped. And so look at the case study as we finish back as we finish up tonight. How was Peter's racism not in line with the gospel, the withdrawing? The premise was that Paul was saying is that God, God sat down at the picnic table with you. God didn't care whether you're a Jewish or non-Jewish Christian in order to be in relationship with you. God, God just loved you for you and he accepted you for you. So who are you to make distinctions amongst other people? And so he's saying, Peter, you've forgotten the gospel. You know it in your head, but your behavior is showing that you've drifted off to either side. And notice how he approaches Peter. He doesn't point it and say, oh, you sinned, repent. Like one of those legalistic churches. No, he says you're not living in line with the gospel. He's saying that your, your withdrawing was indicating that you are forgetting that you're a sinner saved by grace, that you're using your religion and you're using your background and your race and your culture to feel superior, remember, from last week, to the rest of the guys at the picnic table. And so you're withdrawing. You're being religious. You've created an us and a them. That's not in line with the gospel. So Christians have a totally different way of relating to God. That they're, they're sorry not only for their bad deeds, it's, it's one thing, but they're also sorry for their good deeds, for the spiritual LinkedIn profile. They're sorry for the things that they were doing right. Peter had to repent not of being a bad person. He had to repent that he was relying on his good deeds as a Jew for all of those years. He had to say sorry for that because it was causing him to be religious. See the difference? So as we finish the question, all I want to get from us tonight is to say, how do we manage this as a church? Because, 
Because some of you may have been there. There are some churches that they are all truth and no grace. And then there are other churches that are all grace and no truth. I'm just saying, church, what, what if at Northside we could be a church that is both truth and grace? Because you know what? Truth isn't really truth in the Bible unless it's truth and grace. Truth without grace is not the full truth at all. And so what does that look like for us practically? Here's what it could look like for us practically. Is The, qu- the question is, do, do, you, do you withdraw? You see, you can, you can come into church and you can sit politely next to someone who's totally different from you and yet you can slowly withdraw. You don't go into group with them. You don't hang out with them. You don't do life with them. You slowly withdraw the way that Peter did from the picnic table. And here's, here's why this is so important for us. It's because as a church, if God does something crazy in this place, if there is revival in this place, if, if the gospel starts to explode in this place, and we are seeing glimpses of it already, if we had three decisions for Christ in the last month alone, if we are seeing people invite their friends from work and family, and they're coming in and hearing this Christianity thing, then there is every possibility that there are people in this place sitting next to you in the next three months or three years who are going to be crazily different from who you are i hope that there are and whenever you see that in the church the corinthian church for example you see whenever people start hearing the radical truth and living in line with the gospel church gets messy and when people start coming in and believing in jesus christ from the rawness of the world around them churches also get religious you're not like us can we be can we be truth and grace the gospel is the middle line. You know, church communion, I was saying to someone this morning, it's a bit, you ever do those, those parachute dances in primary school? You know, we all had to hold a little bit of the parachute. You see, the, the gospel is like a bowling ball in the middle of the parachute. It, it pulls all of us in towards the center. Spurgeon said, the stone is rolled smooth in the river of truth. Where do you sit tonight in the spectrum? Some of you are sitting out a little bit here. Mm, that's unfair, this whole grace stuff. Other, others can be sitting down here at this end of the spectrum. Ah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm, you know, it's, God loves everyone. We're, we're always drifting to the left and right. I drift to the left and right. How do you know? You'll know if there's transforming power in your life. Tertullian says that this person over here might be religious, but you ask them, are you a Christian? They say, of course I am. And then they're grumpy. And then they're fearful. Or they're guilty. They're sour Christians. And then you ask people over here, you know, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I think so. I think I am. Yeah, God loves everyone. But it's a sentimental Christianity. They forgot that Jesus ran into the burning house for them. There's no power. There's no beauty. There's no dynamic. Guys, I don't know about you. I'm always looking at my life and going, I don't live that remarkable beauty yet. It's not there yet. It's not, a, it's not quite emerging because I'm falling off from one side or the other. Either I'm, I'm telling myself at one point in the week that I'm a sinner and I'm forgetting how loved I am. Or I come the other way and I hear you know, great stuff from a Michael McQueen and, and, and I'm going, I'm, I, I realize how loved I am and then yet at the same time I'm not repenting of how I've not lived in line with the truth of the gospel. There's no beauty. There's no wonder. There's no, it is a dynamic, by the way. We will swing like pendulums throughout our Christian life. But the job for you and I in this wonderful thing that we call church and community is to each hold a piece of the parachute. 
And as that, that, that bowling ball called the gospel weighs in at the front, it will pull us in towards the middle. Only when you hold these two things together, legalism and license, only when you pull them together as you walk in line, only when you walk in line with the gospel will you lose your religion. That's all I want you to get tonight. Let's pray.